Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is Psalm 118, verse 1 through 14. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks to God. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest while the rest of us are seated. My name is Daniel Long. I'm a pastor here at Grace. And next to me, this is Adam Kane. Now, yes. So, for some of you, you're thinking, why are we clapping for this guy? Um, so, Adam... Adam Kane was a, was a pastor here. He, he was the pastor for the middle school students for a very long time. When I first came to Grace 13 years ago, Adam and I worked together. He showed me the ropes and how to do things. Uh, and so I'm very grateful to Adam. And so he and his wife, Janae, have been in town because he officiated a wedding yesterday. And I was like, dude, just, it's so easy. Just Sunday. Can you preach? Uh, and and he, he totally wants to do it. And I'm really grateful for that. But one of the things why I think this is so important, it's really cool to see how uh, God works in so many different ways through the church, not just where we are, but also beyond. Adam's been a pastor for eight years at a church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He's the executive pastor there now. Uh, and just a gift to have him here. One thing that I love about Adam and Janae is that they're, well, I'll just talk to you because you're right next to me. One thing I love about the both of you is that uh, you live lives of conviction, and by that I mean what following Jesus isn't simply like an intellectual exercise for you. You want to embody it in your life. And as I think about your life and as, as I think about us working together, that was such an example to me of how you let Jesus transform the way that you lived and thought about how you live. So thank you for that. But it's a gift to have him here. So yeah, we welcome you. Thank you for preaching. Thanks. Thanks, Daniel. Wow, that was quite the intro. I don't know if I can live up to that in a sermon, but thank you all so much uh, for having me. Um, this place has meant so much to me and to my wife. Um, this place was so formative 
um, in my early pastoral years um, and taken a chance um, on me and forming me, um, and I'm so glad to be in the pulpit this morning, so thank you. Um, Would you guys join me in prayer before we get into the Word this morning? God, we thank you for this place. We thank you for this city. Um, God, we're grateful that you are in this place and you are doing a work. God, we ask that this morning that you would do a work in us. God, would you meet us here in your word, in your living and active word? Would you open our ears? Would you open our lives to be receptive to the moving of your spirit? God, would you empower us to, to live differently because you are with us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been rescued from something? And when I mean rescued, I mean like dramatically rescued. I haven't been, but I have had some close calls that I believe that God has rescued me from. I have, however, gotten to be a part of a few dramatic rescues One in particular has always stood out to me in my mind, and every so often it comes to mind. And a a couple weeks uh, back when when Daniel asked me to preach, this one came to mind as I was reflecting on our passage. My dad and my stepmom, they live in the middle of nowhere in Northern California. They live deep in the Shasta Trinity National Forest, They live about 30 to 45 minutes from the closest town, that town being called Hayfork. I know in your mind right now you are thinking, oh, rednecks. (laughs) And yes, you would be correct. (laughs) Hayfork only has about 2,000 people in it, or it did at that time. And my dad, like I said, lives about 40 minutes out of town in the mountains that surround it way up there, secluded, and up by his house, there are only probably about a dozen or so houses that are scattered throughout that forest. And one year, one of these cabins sold to some, some men that lived down in the city. I, I believe it was San Francisco that, that these men came from. And uh, that winter, early December, uh, The one guy that bought the house came up with his dog to kind of winterize the cabin before uh, the snow came. Um, And so he was up there, and we hadn't yet met him. Um, My dad hadn't met him. My stepmom hadn't met him. But we had heard about them because stuff like that spreads like wildfire in um, small towns. And that year, there was a massive snowstorm, one of the biggest snowstorms that have ever hit that particular area. And within a matter of days, there was 10 feet of snow. Um, And that's not counting snow drifts, which were even deeper. The only way to get in and out um, from my dad's house was by snowmobile. Um, And even that was because we every day had been riding up and creating a path from my dad's Uh, house to the edge of town where we left our vehicles, where the snow plows would plow. And that snow was so deep that we actually had to shovel the snow off of my dad's roof so that it didn't cave in. Um, So one day, my stepmom, Coral, says to me that some people in town never saw the one gentleman come down from his cabin. His name was Les. So she came up with uh, a plan. She said, well, there's no phone at his cabin, um, and, 
believe it or not, kids, actually most of the kids left, so that doesn't work, but teenagers, there was not cell phones at this time, except for these massive brick phones that were like the size of your mom's purse, and those things had horrible reception unless you were in the middle of a city. So my stepmom decides, well, we're going to snowshoe to this guy's property um, and see if he's all right. So we woke up early the next morning. Um, She put five pounds of rice and five pounds of beans in a backpack that, of course, she put on my back. Um, And we snowshoed to this guy's house. It took us about three hours because we couldn't just go straight to his house. Anybody who's been in really deep snow knows that you have to avoid trees because by the trees is where there's no snow underneath. And so you get close, you'd fall in. Um, So we had to kind of stay in the clearings. And as we got to closer to this guy's property, we knew we were close because there was a clearing and there was like a bump. And the bump was actually the cabin. That um, And she starts yelling out, hello, is anybody here? Hello. Because of course we are in redneck country and rednecks shoot you for trespassing on their property. <laughs> so as we get close, all of a sudden we hear this guy yelling, help, help over here. As we get closer, we see this older, frail man and his little dog, and he invites us in, and he asks us who we are and how we found him, and we told him that we had five pounds of rice and five pounds of beans for him if he needed it, and the man starts weeping because the man had been stuck there for almost two weeks, and he didn't come in with a lot of supplies. He thought he was only going to be there for a couple of days. His last meal had been three days earlier, and that meal was dog food. And he said, things got so bad, I was actually contemplating this morning of killing and eating my dog. And so we gave him the rice and the beans, told him that we could come back with more, and that hopefully over the next couple of days, if if it got cold enough, we could get him out. So, this ecstatic man was so, so grateful that every time that we saw less in town, whether it be at Wiley's Market, the little grocery store, the tiny cafe, it didn't matter what part of town we were in, if he saw us walk in, he would testify loudly to everybody in that place, these people saved my life. Back in that storm in 91, I was stuck in the snow and they saved me. There's something about a dramatic rescue that just calls for giving thanks. Even if it's loudly in a public place, there's something about that testimony that just must be spoken when you've been saved like that. And our text this morning is about a dramatic rescue that calls for giving thanks, that calls for giving testimony to our savings. Our text this morning is a testimony of being rescued The author of this psalm has experienced a dramatic rescue in his life. He was saved in a battle even after being surrounded by his enemies, and God rescued him. And he's giving thanks and testifying about God's goodness. Our passage this morning, we heard part of it read already for us, is Psalm 118. I would invite you to turn there with me. If you have a Bible, if not, I notice there are Bibles underneath the seats uh, right there that you're sitting on as well. The book of Psalms is, 
Well, it's a collection of poems, of poetry, of songs that um, help give us speech to God for all of life. They cover almost every human emotion, and they set an example for how we can bring these emotions and these things to God. And our passage this morning is speech of thanksgiving and gratitude. It's a speech of testimony of God's goodness and praise to God, while at the same time still asking God for rescue, that he would continue to bring rescue and success for the rest of life's troubles. Let's walk through this psalm together, and then I want to give us just a couple of application points at the end. We'll start in verses 1 through 4, where the psalmist, who's acting as a worship leader of sorts, commands us all to give thanks to God, for He is good, and His steadfast love endures forever. Look at it with me, starting in verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. The psalmist is commanding us to testify, Oh, give thanks. It could also be translated, Testify that the Lord is good, that His steadfast love endures forever. The leader's testimony is to become everybody's testimony of giving thanks and testifying of the goodness of God and God's love that lasts forever. It starts off general, then moves to the nation of Israel giving thanks, then to the priests, the religious leaders, that's the house of Aaron, and then to all of those who fear the Lord. So everyone should testify of God's goodness and His love The psalmist then fills in his testimony with this vague story of his time of need and calling out to the Lord and how the Lord answered and rescued him in verses 5 through 9. It says this, Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. This worship leader's experience has shown him that God was on his side. And when God is on your side, you don't have anyone to fear. For what can man do to you when God is on your side? If the Lord is with you, then surely you will be triumphant. Because of this logic, he states that it's better to trust in God than to trust in man, or, or even in princes. Even powerful and prestigious people are nothing compared to trusting in God. With this, he comes back to his situation of needing rescue, this time giving us a little better detail of what kind of trouble it was and what kind of rescue God brought. It was war from the nations against him. And in the power of God, he was triumphant against them. He was able to cut them off. Look at it with me, verses 10 through 14. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. 
I was pushed hard so that I was falling. But the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. The author gives us some great illustrations and lines in this stanza. He keeps saying, I cut them off. I cut them off. It's this idea of destroying your enemies, shoving them down, making them weak and feeble. And all of this was in the name of the Lord. It was for God's glory that these unbelieving nations were being cut off by the author. Then he uses these two illustrations to give us a picture of what this battle looked like. The first is that he was surrounded like bees surround you. Have you ever gotten yourself in that situation before where bees are surrounding you? Oh man, it's like the most absolutely terrifying situation. Even though they're just like this little, there's like nothing that you can do. Except, of course, run very quickly in any given direction and flail your arms like this. Does flailing our arms like this actually help? I have no idea, but we do it anyways. But we run away, and and in this situation, he's being surrounded by his enemies like they are bees. And in in these verses, he, he says that he's being pushed hard. The author states, though, that the Lord helped him. That the, through the Lord and entrusting in God, he was able to cut them off. And then he uses another illustration. He says, they went out like fire among thorns. Now, this illustration might be a little bit hard for most of us in this room if we've grown up in the city. Because we're not pulling brush and thorns away from houses and buildings and then putting them in, in piles to, to burn during the winter to do a controlled burn, emphasis on controlled after all the California wildfires. But he uses this illustration because if you've ever burned thorn bushes, they go up extremely quickly. They burn hot, they burn fast, and they flare up, and then they go out. And this is what the Lord has done. In his trusting in God... His enemies have been burned up like a thorn bush, quickly, hot, and then gone. Ashes. God has been his strength. God has become his salvation. Then the author turns to speak of those who are righteous in the Lord, those who have been saved by God, and made righteous by his hand. And he includes himself in this situation and how God has rescued him. Because of this, he testifies. He gives thanks to God for his salvation, even though at times God has disciplined him heavily. God does it to make him righteous. So he praises God for it. Look at verses 15 through 21 with me. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord 
has disciplined me severely, but he's not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The psalmist acknowledges that life with God is, well, it's not always easy and relaxed. And that's because God loves us too much to leave us in our sinful and broken ways. God loves us, so he disciplines He disciplines those who submit to his lordship. God disciplines us, even at times severely, as the psalmist says, but not to the point of death. And it isn't for the point of our mere punishment or humiliation. No, God disciplines us for growth and maturity into righteousness. God loves us too much to leave us like we are. He wants us to be better to be more like him in righteousness. And I don't know about you, but I need a lot of work in this department. I need a lot of work. So I'm expecting discipline to come my way. But I want to welcome it, especially if the Lord is in it. As long as God is going to draw me closer to himself and his ways, why wouldn't I welcome it? Why wouldn't we welcome that discipline if God is in it and it is for our good? And even if we would be rejected by the world, even if the experts of this world would cast us aside, God might just choose to be gracious to us and help us to be a part of his grander plan in this world just like God did with Israel. God chose Israel not because they were great already, but he chose Israel because he loved them. Deuteronomy 7 tells us, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Being chosen and loved by God, well, that's a marvelous thing. Verse 22 and 23, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This illustration of the stone that the builders rejected becoming the cornerstone points to the practice of stonemasons during this time. You see, public buildings were built from stone while private or houses were built from mud bricks. And the most important of the stones that the builders, the stonemasons, would take a long time deciding on was the cornerstone. It was the first stone to be set into place, and from it, all the other stones found their squareness. All the other stones found their foundation in that one cornerstone. And this cornerstone, in this case, was rejected. It was set aside. It wasn't used in the first time in the building of this building. But then, the building needs to be rebuilt. So the building is pulled apart, and a new cornerstone 
is chosen. This cornerstone, this cornerstone that had been rejected is now the new cornerstone. And the entire building is now set on this foundation and this strength. In the time of the Psalms, this was to point to the importance of Israel in God's plan for the world. Israel as the foundation and the strength of God's plan, the cornerstone. But later... Jesus would use this same verse to speak of himself. And this verse, this illustration is used six times in the New Testament to speak of Jesus as the cornerstone. The book of Ephesians speaks of our reality in Jesus with Jesus as our cornerstone. It says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. We're chosen by God to be a part of God's plan to be a place where where God dwells in his goodness and God's love is known among us, in us, through us. Being chosen by God and used by him causes the author in this psalm to go back into praising God and yet knowing that a single victory, well, that's not enough. So we ask that God might continue to rescue God would send someone in the name of the Lord to continue to bring salvation. And he and the people would continue to worship. Verse 24 through 27 says, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. This is the day that the Lord has made. It means that this is the day that the Lord has acted. Let's rejoice and be glad in God's working. And God... Please continue to bring rescue and salvation. We're going to continue to mess up. We're going to continue to get ourselves in all sorts of trouble. Please continue to rescue us. Send us, send us someone to save us. And blessed is that one that you send to save us. These lines were used for Jesus. They were spoken over Jesus on Palm Sunday. In Mark 11, the Sunday before Jesus would sacrifice himself on the cross to rescue us and overcome sin and death on our behalf. The people put their their cloaks and palm branches on the ground before Jesus and they shouted from Psalm 118, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Jesus was the ultimate one who was sent to rescue and save us. And the psalm ends with a beautiful doxology, a short hymn of praise to God. And he repeats the opening lines, verse 28 and 29. 
You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. There's so much here in these 29 verses that we could go over in application for our lives of who God is, of who Jesus is, and how we can apply this psalm to ourselves. But to do all of that would take multiple sermons. I'll just pass that off to Daniel. So there's not enough time this morning to go through all of it, but I did want to give us two main things that I think are just the main things in this psalm that sit on the very surface. First is, our God is a God who rescues. And secondly, true rescue calls us to testify and give thanks for it. First, our God is a God who rescues. Do you know this about God? Have you experienced God's rescue through Jesus? Because God didn't just save Israel from battles, but he saves you and I. And if you're honest with yourself, you know that you're broken. You know that you mess up. You know that apart from yourself, there really is no hope to be righteous or perfect. But in Jesus, we can know that even though we are weaker and more sinful than we would dare to admit, through Jesus' death and resurrection from the dead, we can be more loved and accepted than we could dare even to hope for. Jesus paid our debt before God. Jesus bore our punishment for our wrongdoing. Jesus offers us forgiveness, freedom. We can be declared righteous in Jesus. And God didn't just stop at the big battle against sin and death and then leave us be. No, God loves you. God loves you too much to leave you the way that you are. He wants, he wants to help us be better. So as a loving parent, he disciplines us. He shows us the error of our ways, and he's always there for us to call out to him, to call out for rescue. And sometimes it's us. It's we who make a mess of our lives. We make mistakes, give in to temptation, and it affects us and it affects those around us. We lie. We try to cover that lie up. We give in to temptations, temptations like pornography. We self-medicate our own pain and loneliness with binge-watching Netflix, with trying to escape, with buying stuff that we don't really need on Amazon, by seeking likes and affirmation from social media, Instagram. Some of us even self-medicate with alcohol. Sometimes it's not us, but it's our enemies. It's, it's others who make a mess of our lives. The person at work jockeying for attention over us and just keeps messing things up for us at work. That jealous acquaintance who just won't stop comparing themselves to you and makes life difficult whenever they are around. Or that person who sees you as an enemy because of your religious views or your political views 
and messes up your relationship with others. And at times, it's not us, and it's not others. It's just the outcome of the messed up and broken world that we live in that messes things up. Earthquakes, politics, etc. God wants to be with us in all of those areas. Not just for sin. He wants to be with you through all of it. God is a God who rescues in the small and the big. And we need to trust in Him for rescue, to call out to Him for help. And when God does come, then we can join with the psalmist and say to our wrongdoing or our enemies or to the broken world around us that we have victory and we have able, been able to cut them off. Do you know God's rescue? If not, in a moment when we pray, I would encourage you to to pray and be open to God's rescue through Jesus. Receive Jesus as Lord, as Savior, as the one who can help and can be trusted. Or have you known God's rescue? Just not lately. Things have been hard. And instead of, of trusting in the Lord, you've trusted in yourself. You've trusted in your own strength. You've, you've trusted in the ways of the world. Well, during that same time of prayer, I would encourage you at that time to call out to God for rescue. Remind yourself that God is a God of rescue. Secondly, true rescue calls us to testify and to give thanks for it. If you know God's radical and marvelous rescue, give thanks to God and testify about it. Remind yourself of just how much God has done for you. Where were you before God rescued you? Who would you be if Jesus wasn't in your life? Praise God for his goodness and his rescue in Jesus. Thank God that his steadfast love endures forever. Remind yourself that God didn't just rescue you once and then leave you be. No, he loves you so much that he continues to walk with you. He continues to rescue you from the small and the big. Sometimes it even looks like discipline to teach you to be more and more like you were meant to be, to be fully alive, to be righteous in and through Jesus. But we have got to testify to that goodness of God and the greatness of his rescue. And sometimes that testimony, that testifying is to ourselves. You see, we need to remind ourselves of God's goodness. We need to, to testify and preach the gospel, not just to others, but sometimes to ourselves, reminding ourselves of the goodness of the gospel, the goodness of God's saving. And we need to testify to the surrounding world, to our neighbors and co-workers and acquaintances. If we know God's rescue, we should testify to others. We should openly give thanks for the rescue in praising God. Just like less. I would say, do you know this Jesus? Because back in 1991, this Jesus saved my life. You see, I was lost. I was stuck. I was on the path to death. But this Jesus, he made me new. He rescued me from the pit. I couldn't help myself. 
And yet he came along when no one else could. He gave me life when there was none to be found. He gave me hope when I felt desperate, when I felt alone, when I had no life. He gave me life and gave me freedom. Our God is a God who rescues. Do you know his rescue? Are you trusting in it? True rescue then calls us to testify, to give thanks for God's goodness because his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. God, for those in this room that don't know your rescue, God, would you reveal yourself to them in this moment? Would they be open to hearing your voice in their lives receiving your death on their behalf to set them free from their own sin and brokenness. God, would they receive you this morning as Savior, as their God and their Lord. God, for so many of us, we know your rescue in the past, but we need it now. God, we feel stuck. We feel like we are surrounded by enemies, surrounded by problems, like they are bees, and we can't get away. No matter how fast we run, no matter how much we try to self-medicate ourselves or, or even just, to, even just to, to hide. God, but right now in this moment, we ask for your rescue. Remind us of your goodness and your love for us, that your steadfast love endures forever, and that we can trust in your goodness and we can trust in your rescue. God, thank you for that and help us to testify to ourselves and to the surrounding world of your goodness and your love and of your rescue. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.